Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I'd like to welcome you, and uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I know Pastor Tom was here last week and he gave a great apologetic message. Uh, we're going to be diving back into the book of Philippians. Uh, this is our fourth part. Uh, I envision this to be an eight-part series, which is kind of long. I know the book is only four chapters, but uh, there's just a lot in here. And I t- you know, as we've already done, if you have any questions, you were given a sheet of paper as you came in here today by one of the ushers. I highly recommend you know, if any questions that you may have, anything that we're looking at today in this text in chapter 2, please put the question in here. Now, Pastor Tom put a question in there last week, right? So I came in here early this morning. Who was here last week? You remember that? He's funny, right? He's really funny. You know what Tom's question was? I thought I'd read it to you. Could James Lecce create a rock so heavy he couldn't lift it? This is the question that Pastor Tom put in the basket. I'm going to get him back next time he's here. He'll be here June 8th. Wait till you see the question that I'm just going to say, hey, Tom, when you come in on June 8th, you know, some people have questions, and I'm going to give them a really difficult question, right? Fair game? Is that fair game? Yeah, I think so. I also wanted to say something before I get into the, uh, the, the real message this morning. I want to do something, and it stirred me again watching that Memorial Day video. I, won't, I usually go away with my um, wife's family, Megan's family. We have a family reunion. What year is it this year? 40... 40. All right. So it's, we're almost, we're close to 50 years at this like family reunion. It's crazy. If I could bring you up there, the games and you're a star or a stripe, I may have mentioned a couple of things about it. So I'm usually not here on July 4th weekend, but I really want to, I've been planning this for a couple of years. I'm going to do a sermon and I'm going to tie it more into the, the, the revolution, the American revolution in our independence and give you some amazing history and how it's tethered to, I think our spiritual walk as Christians. I've never done that before, but I will at some point. I don't even know if I have to do it on July 4th, like, uh, weekend or whatever. Are you interested in that? Yeah, yeah, of course you are. All right. Well, let's open up in a short word of prayer. Lord, Lord, I just, I thank you. I come up here, too, as one of the leaders in this house. Lord, and I thank you for the, the service of the men and women in this place and all around this country, that we are able to come in here and worship We come in this beautiful, beautiful church, and there is air conditioning, and we have comfortable seats, and we're free to walk around and read our Bibles, Lord. In many places around the world, that's not possible. Father, may we not take for granted the freedom that you've given us, and the freedom that we have in you as followers of you, as your children. Help us to see all that you have for us. May we unwrap every gift. May we realize, Lord, all the spiritual gifts that you have given each of us. May we lay hold of them. May we take you at your word. May we challenge you to believe that you indeed are a good God and you have our best interests at heart. Lord, I ask you, as I always do, Lord, brand this word into people's hearts. Enliven it. May people see, Lord, open eyes as you've opened my eyes this week to what the Apostle Paul is saying in this text. Spirit of the living God, have your way in this place with us. We don't come just for another sermon. We didn't just come for another meeting. I know there are barbecues and things that are going to happen after this meeting. But Lord, we give you this time. We consecrate this time. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to move right now. Amen. 
It was that good of a prayer? Wow, okay. Uh, how many of you know the name Tony Campolo? All right, Tony Campolo is one of my favorite uh, Christian authors and speakers, if you never got a chance to hear him speak. He's up there in age now. He must be probably in his late 70s, early 80s. And uh, he wrote a book a while ago, You Can Make a Difference. It's a true story of two men that are traveling together on a train at a Victoria station in London. And 20 minutes into their journey, one of the men has an epileptic seizure. Anybody, you've ever witnessed an epileptic seizure, how scary that can be, how harrowing that can be, watching somebody go through that experience? One of the gentlemen falls off his seat on the train car, and he's on the floor, and he's having this seizure. His friend immediately took off his jacket, put it underneath his head, and, you know, takes out a handkerchief and wipes off the beads of perspiration off the man's face, and he starts talking to him very, you know, quietly, and he's trying to calm the man down. About three minutes later, the seizure was over. The man is brought back up on the chair, and there's a man that is sitting across him. And this man is, he's kind of perplexed, doesn't really know what has happened. He's a little frightened. And with that, the friend who was helping this man that had the seizure said, Hey, mister, how are you? I I know this is probably a harrowing experience for you to, to, to be watching this. You see, the man that is next to me, he has about three or four seizures every single day. Three or four, every day. And what you wouldn't have known is that we served in Vietnam together. And we were in the same battle. We were both shot. I was shot in my legs. He was shot in his shoulder. And you see, there was a helicopter that was supposed to come take us out of this battle after we were shot. The helicopter never came. The man that is sitting next to me put me on his back, even though he was injured worse than I was, put me on his back and carried me out of the jungle. It took three days to get out of the jungle. All the while, the Viet Cong were trying to track us down. How does somebody do something like that? Are you kidding me? You hear a story like that, that somebody does that and they risk their own life. They save this man's life. And then he said, this is the best part of the story in the book. Campolo says, the one man said to him, you see, mister, looking at the man across from them, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for this man because of what he did for me. You know what the guy did? He gave up his job in New York, sold his house. Sold his house, took the money that he had and said, for the rest of my life, I will take care of this man who gave up my, who gave up his life for me, carried me out. I would never be here today. I would have never made it out of Vietnam if it wasn't for the sacrifice of my friend. I would do anything for him. True story. And why do I bring that story up today? Because last week, or two weeks ago, I should say, we ended at a passage, the Kenosis passage in chapter 2. Is there, is there nothing that like, uh, awes us more than somebody that sacrifices? And I would say the greater the sacrifice, the more indebted we feel to our benefactor. Do we not? Yes. Well, the passage that we stopped at, and I just want to refocus on that before we move into the next text today... This is what we looked at, and I kind of did it in a different way. I talked about the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 and how he looked at the example of Christ and how he willingly let himself be imprisoned and beaten. He was a Roman citizen and chose not to tell the authorities. He, He chose not to tell the magistrates who he was. This is the text we looked at. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Any greater sacrifice that has ever been made in the history of this world? We, every single one of us in here, we were mired in our sin and we were lost. We lost our way. We went astray. Don't you see the picture of Jesus who is just like the man in the story in Vietnam who goes into the jungle and carries us out? That's what this is a picture of. Who gives up his whole reputation. He's seated at the right hand of God. Gives up his status and says, no, I will go down and I will save human beings. I will die on the cross. Wow, what a beautiful picture. Well, we pick it up this morning with verses 12 and 13. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to start. I'm going to focus more on 14 through 18, those verses. But we're going to start there. And a very famous passage of scripture that you know, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Well, heard that, right? You've seen that on, I don't know, bumper stickers, posters, some work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Can I spend a little while here and just break this down and tell you the first thing this is not saying? You know the word where it's, it says your own, the word your and your own salvation, work it out, right? That is not talking to individuals. That is plural. You take notes or whatever. You, how many of you saw this text? You've read it before at some point in your life. And you said, wow, Paul is probably talking to the church at Philippi. No, I never looked at it that way either. I'm with you. So if you're like, is there something wrong with No, there's nothing wrong with you if you didn't look at it that way. I never did either. That word is plural. He is talking to a community of people. You, Philippians, are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is not talking about a fear of God. That's something this verse gets so taken out of context. It's distorted. It is not talking about like a fear of, oh my gosh, you better be afraid of God. That's not how we're, we're, we're talking here. It's not what he means. He is saying, no, you as a community of believers, you need to work everything out together. And there are going to be differences among you within your, you know, in this congregation. And there are going to be some people that are wealthy and there are going to be people that are poor. And you're going to have Jews and you're going to have Romans. And you need to work it out together. Whatever your differences are, that's what he's saying. God has given you something that is so beautiful. In Europe, this is the first place. This is the first church. The gospel will move forward from here. And he's like, listen, this is very strategic. This is a huge pivotal moment in the life of the church. And you need to work it out. And there are some people probably next to you that you don't like. And there are people, the other people that they don't like you. You need to work it out. How come we look at our walk? As so, it's so individualized. Even just our culture. That's the culture you live in. It's my liberty. It's my rights. Or even, I'm sorry, I hear it all the time. Well, my worship style is. Your worship style? What? You may like certain kinds of music. I get that, right? I understand that. 
But when you come in the house of God, you come in here, you put your worship style aside, and you're with the community of believers, and you say, I will worship together. And it doesn't matter if I don't like the music. You're here with other people. You put that aside and say, this is the community that God has put me in. You know, and it's so easy for us to get so individualized in how we, 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 we walk in the Christian faith. And we read our Bibles and we have our devotionals and everything's kind of, I do my own thing. I do my own thing. I love God. Yeah, come to church, but don't ask me to get involved in a group here. Don't ask me to be really part of the community. This is where the rubber meets the road in, in Christianity. When you become part of a community... And you are not perfect. We're not perfect. We always preach that here. But you work it out together. And people see your warts. And they see all the issues and problems that you have. And you see mine. And we still somehow in the midst of it, we love each other. Baby Nolan didn't like what I said. It's all right. It's all right. Here he is. Look at him. He's in the back. He's like, yeah, look at him. Oh, there he is. You'd rather look at him than look at me, right? I get it. I understand. All right. So in the sense there, he's talking, he's talking, this is plural. He's not talking singularly. Hey, look, you, you specific people. No, it's everybody. You need to work it out. And it's not an end or. Doesn't it seem like a paradox? Like it's paradoxical, like a contradiction. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then look at the next part. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Which one is it, Paul? Is it God that does everything? Let go and let God? Or is it we're supposed to do everything? God helps those that help themselves. It's both. It's not an end or. The Christian life is there are things that you have to do. And there are things that God has to do. And unfortunately, sometimes the pendulum gets swung so far one way where it's all God and God does everything in your life. You become a Christian and that's it. God will do everything for you. No. And on the other side, it's all about us and our work and all our deeds, everything that we do. No. There is a balance here. Stay in the middle of the balance beam. There are some things God does and there are some things that we do. But together, that's where the spirit will move inside of us and God has his way and he has his being in our life. Does that make sense? All right. Now moving ahead into 14 through 18, which is where we're going to stop today. We're going to move on to chapter three next week. But this is the passage that has meant a lot to me today. And I'm excited about this. All right. 14 through 18. Put it all up there. Do everything without grumbling, yes, I underline that, or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. I guess, you know, anytime Paul, like, you you put, you know, italics there, you italicize something, like, first century, that means, like, it's important, in case you didn't know that. Okay, that's the way I look at it. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. When this is read, and this is something that I think we miss too. Did you know this is read to a community of believers? This is not one person sitting in their house going, the Apostle Paul made, you know, wrote this letter and people had copy machines and they're like, here's your copy and here's your copy and here's yours. Go home, go read it and then we'll come back. No, no, no. 
there would have been, every scholar, every scholar says this. This is huge because this is a paradigm shift in probably how you look at this. All of the people, if you were in a rural area, if you were in the city, you're in the hub of the city, you're, again, you're Roman, Jewish, whomever you are, you're in Philippi and you're a Christian? You came to hear the reading of a letter and it would be shouted out, Paul has written us a letter. He has written the church at Philippi a letter. People would have gathered there. Somebody would have gotten up that knew the Hebrew scriptures. Because as I'm going to attest to and and look at, allude to in a minute, there are things that would be in the scriptures that not everyone would get. And somebody would read this out and you would be sitting there on the edge of your seat, listening to what the apostle had to say to your church first as a community and then to you in your life. How cool is that? That's what would happen. Why do I bring that up? Because how important it is for us, I think, as Christians in the culture we live in to be a people that gather around the word and really share our lives together. Did you hear what I said? I'm at a small group meeting. Jack, where are you? Jack? Jack, how long have you, run, how long have you been running that small group? All right, four or five years. Months? I thought you did it longer than that. Somebody, How long has that group been running? Long time, right? Okay, so a pretty long time. So I'm there again. I was amazed. I popped in a few times over the last couple of months. And I'm sitting there, and there they are in the book of Matthew. And here are these men, a men's group. You don't care if more men come down either, do you? Absolutely not. So that, that's a little, you know, segue. You should come. Advertisement. Come on in. Come down. Tuesday night. And here these guys are in the book of Matthew. And first of all, they're sharing their lives together. It's not just head knowledge. They're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and guys are talking about what they see in the text. Beautiful. They had John Morton is uh, worshiping. There's prayer. But guys are really opening up. And what does this text mean to me? And I'm like, this is Philippians. So I was telling you, this is Philippians. This is what the church is supposed to do. It's become so individualized, though, that we just go home and we do things on our own. It was never, ever meant to be that way. I'm putting my history hat on, but that's, that's, that's the truth of this. The reality is it was meant to be read in the context of a community and your faith was meant to be in the context of a group of people where you're working out your salvation. And, you know, it's, it's wild when you think about when, when these people are there and they're, they're working it all out together. But this is, this is what they love. This is what the people, this, this is what they lived for. They live for this. And, you know, it's kind of wild too. And I, was, I have to use this example, but... I'm all for, listen, hear me, hear me. I'm all for people reading the Bible on their own. Did you hear what I said? You don't come up to me afterwards and say, what about my own personal? No, 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 you should have your own personal time. You should be reading the word on your own. But there are certain things that if you just pick up the Bible, you know what people say, and they mean this in the the best way. Well-intentioned people will say, if you don't understand the Bible, just here's the New Testament. Read the Gospel of John. Just start reading it, right? How many of you have heard that before? Can I show you something? All right, this is John 1. Let's just read it together, right? John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, let's break this down. There is some dude named Word 
who lived a really long time ago, right? He's really old. He's been there somewhere in the beginning. Look at the next part, right? He was in the beginning with God. So God is with this dude word and they're creating something in the beginning. They're working together and somehow word is creating it with him. Did you get that? Does that make sense to you? You hear what I'm saying? No, I'm being serious. Can God give revelation to people just reading the Bible? And has he done that for centuries? Yes, he has done that. But I also believe as somebody that really studies what the scriptures actually mean and and putting them in their proper context, you need to study them in the context of other believers. That as one of your leaders in this place, that is my heart's cry. That you would be somebody that wanted to gather with other people and get into the word and really try to understand what it's saying. Because out of that comes real life application for you. Does that make sense to you here? Okay. All right. I had to put that up there. Now look at the passage again. Here here are some things. If If you have your Bible, what I just showed you here, back to Philippians 14 through 18. This passage is loaded with references to the Old Testament. Loaded. If you were sitting there and somebody was reading that to you, and you're somebody that's maybe a new Christian, I can just picture somebody that's like, I can just imagine like somebody like sitting there and the, the guy sitting next to him, and maybe I'm the guy that knows a lot. I'd be like, listen, what Paul just did is absolutely brilliant. I'll explain it to you later. But the person that didn't know much and is a new Christian would have missed so many pieces here. What am I talking about? Here, I wanted to put a slide up for you to see. These are the references. What I just read, when it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. What is Paul talking about? He's assuming, light bulbs would have went off. He's assuming that people that are sitting there, if you you knew the Hebrew scriptures, that that you would understand this was tethered to these passages. The first one, Exodus 16, Numbers 14. The Exodus. How about so that you may become blameless and pure? He's referring to Genesis 17. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Deuteronomy 32. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Daniel 12. Oh, Paul. How wonderful and beautiful his writing is, but he's tying it back. And listen, you may have read this passage a million times. He's trying to teach them something Through a story that has happened, that transpired in the Old Testament. And he's saying, you see those people? They got it wrong. But you, Philippians, are going to get it right. Uh, I I, I can't get enough of this stuff. And he's talking about the Exodus story. And many of you know the story, right? God has freed the Israelites from the bondage and slavery that they're in to the Egyptians. Right? For those many years. And what do they do? God frees them, liberates them, and once they're in the wilderness, what do they do? (coughs) Excuse me. They grumble. They complain. They're like, Moses, you took us out. Why would you take us out here to die? What is this? This is crazy. Where is God in the midst of this? And they complain and they grumble about little things and they forget to see and understand how God has freed them. This is what Paul is referring to. There's an old rabbinical story. Let me put a picture up there for you. Keep you awake. There's an old rabbinical story that uh, rabbis would love to tell. It's fascinating. Two men are traveling. The, The Red Sea has been parted. And there are these two men that are traveling. They're traversing the Red Sea. 
and the, the bottom of the Red Sea, it's muddy, right? And they're there, and the one guy's saying to the other guy, he's like, I got, I got mud and dead, this all in my toes. And the other guy's going, yeah, you got that. I have mud all in my sandals. And the rabbis would say, you know what? They couldn't look up. They were only looking down and they failed to see the water that was being held back on their right and on their left. All they saw was the mud that was in between their toes and the mud that was in their sandals. But this story would have nothing to do with 21st century American culture, would it? Isn't that a beautiful little story? So true. And so two men walked across the Red Sea and they refused to look up and see how God in, his, in this beautiful miracle had kept these walls of, waters to the side, walls of water to the side so they could actually make their way through and get to safety. Oh, wow. And what, here's what Paul is doing. This is, his, this is his like little Jedi move. It's so subtle. It's like a subtle little nuance here. And I said to you before, he's referring to Deuteronomy 32. He's actually referring to Deuteronomy 32.5. I want you to see. This is, this is what he's referencing. When he's writing this and he's in the prison and, hallelujah, and he's writing, right? And he's sitting there and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what the text says there. Why is two moved over? I don't know. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. He is saying, you have to see it here. He's saying this. He, he's giving this denouncement of the people who were rescued but don't get it. He is saying to them, listen, Philippians, the Israelites, look at the story of the Exodus. God did something so miraculous in their midst and they failed to see and really embrace it. But you, as children of God, you are to shine like stars in the sky. You are to be different. Although you may have mud in your sandals, although you may have mud in your toes, you are children of God, and you are not to grumble, and you are not to complain, because God knows who you are, he knows where you are, and don't forget the big miracles that have happened in your life. That's what he's saying here. He's tying it back. You, Philippians, are a different people. You don't have to be that way. And how the story went, how the story went for the Israelites, is not how the story has to go. Let me say it again. How the story went. So what Paul's saying. How the story went is not how the story has to go. Your father or mother may have been an alcoholic. You don't have to be an alcoholic. Your parents may have had a divorce. You don't have to get a divorce. You, your, your mother may have been insensitive and cold. That doesn't mean that you are going to be that way when you're a mother. We as Christians can break the cycle. The way the story went is not the way the story has to go. I don't care what the world tells us. Whatever you're up against, the way the story went is not the way the story has to go. And there is one who is in your midst here who has the ability to break those chains, who has the ability to break you free from bondage and slavery. Do you believe that? He is the miracle maker. He has not lost any of his power, thank God. And he is here in our midst right now, but he can break the cycle. And this is my favorite part of this. Are you ready? If you, if you were sleeping, this is my favorite part of the sermon. Got to throw a little Greek in there. There it is. Look at that word. You want me to pronounce it for you so we can all say it together? Gangismas. Say it. Gangismas. 
Yeah, you all right? Cool word. It almost sounds like, I always think of this, I guess, but it sounds like some rash or disease or something that you get to go to the doctor. I got a bad case of gangismas. Can you help me, doctor? Do you have like an ointment or a salve I can put on that? Something? Come on, doc. Help me out. Gangismas. Now, this word is, this is the only time in all of Paul's letters, this is where I geek out, only time in all of Paul's letters where he actually uses this word. It is used a few times in the New Testament, but Paul, only time he's going to use this word, gangismas. Now, what is wild about this word, how many of you remember the gong show? Let's just get into it. How many of you remember the gong show? Okay, Jack, I'm sorry, I didn't ask you before church, but I'm going to play with the drums a little bit here. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I'm not going to kill myself. Don't worry, I'm not going to break anything. But remember the gong show and somebody was singing, right? And they're really bad. I'm just going to use this, but, right? If they were really, um, this is like, you know, not that loud, but I got to probably, right? They would, and that was it. The person would like whisked off the stage, you were done. What do you see in this word? Gong, like a loud noise when somebody is complaining, Paul is saying, it's like hearing this. Why are you complaining? You're gongismas. All right, you get the point? Okay. Now, I should probably stay over. This is fun. I'm going to stay over here for a second. Now, we gongismas all the time. I'm stealing this after the meeting, by the way. I didn't tell you that. I'm going to borrow this and bring it home for, like, my son, Jameson. Like, this morning, like, he was, he was the gongismas king today. Okay. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to eat. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You do nothing I tell you to do. His mother and I were like exasperated, just so frustrated today. I wanted to be like, I don't, this is all I hear. Right? I want one in my classroom. When kids are slackers, they're like, I don't want to do, do we really have to have homework tonight? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You want to be a slacker the rest of your life? You don't want to achieve? You want to sit home, maybe play video games? You want to sit on your iPhone? And I hear gangismas. Right? Right? I need one at home. Well, I don't know. I need one at home for, for, for Megan, my, my beautiful wife. She's in the back there. We, you know what we do? I'll tell you. Here's like another little secret about the, the lechies. We, we, we play Jeopardy every night. Did I tell you that? We, we battle each other every night. I win more often than she. She complains. She gangismases when I win. I'm kidding. She wins more than I do. The, uh, pop culture and history. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like literature and stuff. And she kills me. Right? But I want one of these. Right? I should complain. How about this? This is my best part. I'll tell you something about me you probably didn't know. Pastors, you know this very well. Family, friends, you know, some of you that know me really well, you, you, you're going to laugh. How many of you enjoy traffic? Nobody, right? Anybody enjoy traffic? Mitzi, ready? Every single summer, we'll travel to Delaware, right? We go to the ocean, we see uh, family, Megan's family. Invariably, I get on the New Jersey tour. I literally, it's like I stress out, like I'm on Stress Island, right? I'm on 495 and I'm stressing out. And eventually we get through the city, right? That's very stressful. We get on I, of whatever, 95 and Jersey, the Jersey Turnpike. I hate it. I detest it. There's always construction. The last like three years I've been on the Jersey Turnpike. You with me? Some of you drive it every day. I don't do it. That's why I can't handle it. And I just sit in the car and I gangismas. Gangismas, gangismas, gang, 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 gang. She's like, oh, is this guy going to shut up? What is this going to end? It's like an epic apocalyptic event when there's traffic somewhere for me. Yesterday, we're out east and we're in traffic for like 20 minutes. And I'm really trying because I'm like, you know, I got to preach this sermon tomorrow. And it's about grumbling and complaining about gangismasing. And here I am ready to gangismas to the 10th degree. 
with me? How many of you are gone geese as well in your own life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured I wasn't the only one. Jack, you're uh, one of the stick drumstick is over near me. Well, you look at this word, though. <coughs> I hope this is hitting home. We lose the, when we gone geese we lose the plot. We lose the plot. And how things were is not how things have to be. And Paul is trying to bring their attention back to that there is a larger story than the story we're choosing to tell. There is a larger story. Even though we may be talking about bills and we may be talking about traffic and we may be complaining and gangismasing about our kids, there is a larger story that is really there in our lives that we are missing and we are forgetting. And we're getting so bogged down in these little pieces and we're forgetting to see. Did I tell you a story about two men that walk across the parted Red Sea and they forget to see the walls? That's us. That is who we are as Christians. We forget and what we need to do when we gangismas, we forget to remember how life is a gift. We have the ability to move, that is a gift. We have the ability to work, that is a gift. 8% of the world has cars. 8% of the world. One third of all Americans have more than two cars. Yet we gangismas about the car that we have outside that we're driving. We gangismas about everything in American culture because we want things now. We live in that instant gratification world and we're, 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 we're sold the bill of goods, buy this, sell, do this, wear this, and then you'll be happy? Really? Oh, the enemy. Oh, how sneaky he is. He wants us to gangismas. He wants us to miss the big picture. He wants us to focus on all of these small little stories in our lives. And here are some of the reasons we complain. We, we, we want more, right? We want more. How many of you see that in your own lives where you say, I complain and I gangismas because when I get that job, then I'm going to be happy. We say this all the time, but you can't say this enough. When I get the job, then I'll ultimately be happy. I'm going to complain, though, until then. When I get that house, no, no, not the house that I'm in right now. I have a roof over my head. No, 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 no. When I get that house, then I'm actually going to be happy. Just give me that house. I promise I will not gangismas anymore. When I get that spouse, then I'm going to be happy. When my kids do this, when I get that promotion, when the kids get out of the house and the kids grow up, that's what I'm dealing with right now. Having a four-month-old baby, picture this, right? And, and, and Jameson, who's four, going on five, trying to put sermons together and just live life like all of you, how hard it is. It is quite difficult. It is quite stressful. And it's easy to gangismas. And then I forget, hey, look, kids are only going to be this young for a short time. When I get older, I'm going to give anything to go back and be with them when they're young. Stop gangismasing. We complain and we complain and we complain. It's something I deal with. Some of you may not deal with it. I definitely do. It's something that's real in my own life. In this text, that's what I wanted to pull out of this today. That we need to be a people that understand that. And so in the culture of more and wanting more things and complaining about that, that may be one thing, one reason why we're gangismasing. I would say the other one is, and this one's deeper. You ready for this? I think we kind of keep score with God. We feel, we complain a lot. You know, it's really much deeper. Let's take it to a deeper level. It's not just about the bills and the spouse and the kids and all these other issues. Take it deeper. A lot of times it's because we don't think God's good. And God has shortchanged us. Ooh, God, you didn't give me what I think I deserve. Why did you put me in this position? I deserve 
better than this. I want you this week, I want you to sit there, have some quiet time, and try to analyze those things. And if this is your spouse and they're not going to do that, nudge them. Blake, you're spending some time alone. Think about the things, the reason, whatever you complain about. Try to get to the root of those. Does it have to do with a distorted picture of who God is and what he's given you in your life? Maybe there are certain talents that you, don't, you, you wish you had and you don't have. Just who you are, the way that you look, the way that you talk. Are there certain things about you that you feel like you can't change and God has short, shortchanged you and there is a scorecard that you're keeping and God is on the negative side in that scorecard because he has not come through? Watching somebody on TV today. It, 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 this is the gospel. Come on. This is reality. Christina would just smile at you and tell you everything. Oh, just stop complaining. No, what are the reasons why we're complaining? How are we looking at God? What is the picture we have of God? Because the picture we have of of God, as A.W. Tozer says, is the most important thing about us. Did you get that? The picture and image you have of God is the most important thing about you. Not the second most important thing. I agree with him. I think it's huge. And then let's get back to this. This is, I'm going to close up with this in a little bit. Here we go. I want you to look at verse 16. I wanted to focus in on this. Um, And Paul says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. You know why I love Paul too? And I gave a running illustration earlier in the series. I'm giving another one. My my favorite one is at the end of of Philippians. It's not going to be one that you heard already. But I love these images. And labor is obviously a work metaphor there. But the one when he talks about running, where is that taken from? Obviously, it's taken from sports. And he says, I want you to shine like stars. I don't want you to grumble and complain. And just because the story went one way doesn't mean it has to go that way. How come we always forget when we gang gismas or complain, we forget that this Christian walk is a marathon. Do you hear me? You came in here today and you're like, I don't know. For you, this may be another commercial. And you're the one millionth, you know, customer. Like the store. Ah, and the balloons come down, right? That's not going to happen in church. Don't think you're going to walk through the doors one day. I don't know if this is your two millionth meeting in this place. One, whatever it is. This walk is not a sprint. And let me be brutally honest with you. Since I was a little toddler, right? Growing up in the church down the road there, I have seen so many people who they come to the church. And this is just not just our church. This is every church. And some people come in and they're on fire. You go near them and you're like, oh, I hope I don't get burned, right? That's for a little while. And they sit in the front and they take notes like Pastor Joe and they're really into the sermons and they talk to me and they talk to Pastor Linda and whomever and they just say, I love this place. I'm never going to, right? And then as time goes on, that dissipates. And then a little while down the road, they move further and further back. And I'm like, hey, I remember you used to sit over here, right? Right? Now you're in the chief seat. Who's the guy? Bob Euchre, right? Sit in the front row, right? They say all the way in the back over there, right? And then they're like, just, they just like disappear. Why am I saying that to you? Because we complain so many times that the feeling that I, I don't have that feeling anymore in this church. I don't have that feeling. I used to have these feelings and I used to love everybody, but I don't have that anymore. And I would say to you, this Christian, I'm on today. I know it. I'm, I'm feeling it today. This Christian walk is a marathon. And 
It's so easy to go, I want to feel how I did years ago. Well, I'm here to tell you, the person you were years ago today, the person you are today is not the person you were years ago, and you are growing in your faith. And stop sitting there complaining, grumbling, and saying, that you don't have those same feelings and emotions anymore. I would say to you, it's a marathon, and sometimes there aren't Gatorade stands where you are. You go through desert patches. But the body of Christ is here for you. People are here. We're here to run the race together. And therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, why do we think it's a sprint? Why do we think we're going to walk all the time and just be on the mountaintop? No, you will be in valleys. It will be very dark and you're running and you can't really see. And you kind of trip and you don't know where you are. That is the Christian walk. That is the real Christian walk. I think of it all the time. About 20 years ago is when God lit me on fire in that prayer chapel in the backyard. And I used to go out there and I would just, I was a voracious reader. I couldn't get enough. And I'd be out there late at night. I'd just read and read and cry and cry, shocker. And I would just sit there and listen to music and just, I couldn't get enough of God. And I'll be honest with you, as years later, it's 20 years ago, but like years later, I would still sometimes go, why can't I get back to that? I want that. And it was almost like one day I knew in my spirit where I just knew God was saying, you know what, that's not, you needed that then. But now I'm going to speak to you in a different way. And there's another level I want to take you to. And then one day I'm going to take you to another level. But there's going to be dry patches there. And there are going to be times that you don't like it. But you better have perseverance and you better have endurance. Story for you. All right. 1983, right? There's a guy by the name of Cliff Young. I came across this story in accident, and I said, I just absolutely have to share it. And the guy's name is Cliff Young. A, um, this is Australia 83, ultra marathon. Now get this, 573.7 mile foot race from Sydney to Melbourne. Are you kidding me? An ultra marathon, a regular marathon, what, like 26 point whatever miles, right? Yeah, over 500 miles. Huge event in Australia. All these runners that are there, sculpted bodies, these people that are in amazing shape that can run, right? They're all there. And then here is this one guy, Cliff Young. I'm going to put his picture up there for you so you can get a little, uh, little visual. And this guy, Cliff Young, goes up to the desk and says, Cliffy, where's our Cliffy? Where's our Cliffy? Cliffy, there he is right there, right? You got to get the book now. I don't know. It's, I don't know if you know when the book was written, but here's this guy, Cliff Young. And he goes up to the desk, right? He wants to register for the race. And the people that are there are like, who is this guy? Let me tell you, he's wearing overalls. He has like galoshes over his like boots. And here are these other people again. These are like people are in insane shape. They live for this. People from all around the world are coming to this ultra marathon to race. Here is this guy that goes up to the desk and he's, he's a farmer. A farmer, right? In overalls. I would like to race in the ultra marathon. And they're like, ah! this guy is crazy. They think it's a joke. Who put you up this? Come on, you really don't want to race. No, I, I'm here for the ultra marathon. I want to race. They eventually, they acquiesce. All right, here's, here's, your, here's your number. All right, put the thing on your They put it on his overalls, and they're like, like, just still laughing, right? Race starts. Get going. People are yelling from the side, get the old fool off the track. Get him out of here. He didn't care. All the runners take off. True story. You're going to look, some of you are probably want to go look this up. True story. They take off. Cliff Young had a weird, like, kind of gallop, and people, like, would make fun of him. They call it, like, the Young Shuffle. That's in Australia. The guy's like a legend. And there he is, and they're all ahead. They're running ahead of this guy. But here's what's amazing. Five days, four hours, 53 minutes later, Cliff Young 
crosses the finish line at 1.23 a.m. What? He finishes first. He not only finishes first, the second, the guy that comes in second place finishes nine hours and 57 minutes behind him. They are like, you know, it's raucous crowd. People, the people that are there are like jumping on this guy. What are this guy? They're like, they're looking at his shoes. Is it his shoes? Does he have like these magic shoes on or something? They take his backpack and they like throw it off him and they go inside. What kind of food did this guy eat? It's like water and pumpkin seeds. What? How did this guy do this? They find out the guy didn't really cheat. Here's the best part of the story. You know how the guy won? Nobody ever told Cliff Young that runners go for 17 and 18 hours at a clip, and then they sleep for three or four hours. Cliff Young, true story, ran over five days without ever sleeping. Are you kidding me? Nobody ever told him that he was supposed to stop and sleep. Nobody ever told him. And I'm here to tell you, you are to keep running in this race. You are not to stop. You may get distracted. You may fall. But you get back up in this race. (laughs) Some of you are facing unbelievable problems right now. Some of you were gangismasing when you came into this place. As you're in this place listening to worship, you're gangismasing inside. You're complaining. I'm here to tell you as we come to the table, there is a place that you can bring your grumbling and your complaining to. Right here. Right here. The one that says, remember me. The one that says, I take everything, all of your grumbling, all of your complaining, please see, like the rabbinical story, please see that the walls of, of water, they're being held back. God is holding them back. As he was on the cross, the greatest miracle the world has ever seen was taking place, and people missed it. They missed it. May you not miss what God has already done in your life the gifts he has bestowed upon you, who you are. May you not miss the people, the community of believers that God has given you here in this place. Oh, I'm not just saying this because I'm one of the pastors. This is a wonderful, loving place where you can get to know people and they can really get to know you. I'm not here to condemn you if you're like me and you're a gangisma, whatever. I'm here to tell you there's hope for you. There's hope because of what he did on that cross. And here's what I want in in closing, really closing. These are some questions. Now, listen, you're going to take the table. You're going to come up for the table. We don't usually do this. We're going to have some soaking music. We are going to give you five minutes. I want you to focus on these two questions. There may be one question that really stands out more. But these are the questions I want you to focus on. You may want to write them down. You may say, you know what? I really feel led maybe to meet with a couple of people and talk about this. You know why I'm saying that? I almost forgot. We had, we putting our finishing touches yesterday in one of our meetings, you know, talking about the future of the church. We're going to be having small groups where you can get, they're going to be at people's homes. We're going to have four places that you can go. We're going to lay this all out next, next week, but I'm giving you a little appetizer. A place that you can go, and it's going to be a place where you can go and talk about not only what Sunday's word was, because how many times, right, we go out of this place, you forget what you heard. Five minutes after you leave, you totally forget what you heard. I forgot what was it, Gangismas, whatever. All right, whatever. But there'll be a time and a place for you that we can deal with the Philippians. That's what I love. And I bet Paul will be like, 
you go, rock on, rock on. You meet and you look at that text and you find God in the midst of it because that's where it happens. That's where transformation happens. It happens in the context of community. It can happen on your own, but real transformation happens when we sit there as together as brothers and sisters with our warts and all of our issues and maybe black, white, male, female, doesn't matter. We're there together. We're gathered around one How many of you want to be part of groups like that, gathering people's homes? We're going, to have, we're going to have open church one Wednesday. We're going to keep the same kind of schedule. We're going to have it once a month. We're going to have it June, July, and August. And then I think, and I'm trusting, that we're going to, it's, going to be, it's going to go forward. That you are going to be so excited about it, that the Spirit of God is going to be so unleashed in those homes. That people are just going to say, I want to meet again. It's not enough to meet once a month. To get into His Word and to really share life. podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.